Welcome to Bootstrappers, a program designed to bring you up-to-the-minute ideas and concepts to understand what it takes to succeed in business and life. Each week, we'll bring you guests and ideas you can't find anywhere else. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. Now strap on those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers, everybody. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, president of Anaquim, and I'm here with my spouse, Jeremy Aspen. Jeremy Aspen, president of Wistar Group, property management here in Omaha. And if you're new to Bootstrappers, we talk to successful community leaders, business people, uh, today a congressional candidate, um, about their experiences and trials and tribulations of leading companies companies, leading organizations, and doing amazing things. So um, even if you are not a business person or you're not in our primary field, which is property management, a lot of these tips and tricks are tips and tricks, tricks, are we saying tricks, are concepts and things that you could use in any aspect of your life. So with that, we want to introduce Kara Eastman who is a congressional candidate here in Nebraska in the 2nd District. If you're from Nebraska and you're listening to this on the radio, you know that already. And uh, she also, for 12 years, ran an organization called Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance, which helped uh, kids with their health in respect to the housing environment. Is that a good way to, how would you describe it? Yeah, that's a perfect way. Is that, okay, so we were gonna talk about not her campaign today though. We're not talking campaign. And so, but we should probably lay um, uh, this down that she is a Democrat. I don't think you'd mention that. I have not mentioned that. And and it's not gonna be Jermaine here, but she's the Democratic uh, nominee for Nebraska uh, CD2. Yes. And And we're Republicans. Which is germane to the topic today. Yes. Yeah, so if because we're in property management, we talk to property managers across the United States. One of the things that's really come up lately is that small business, business is not fighting, but it's getting really testy between business, government, and nonprofits, especially with all the things with COVID and everything going on. Um, it's gotten kind of nasty. And so what we wanted to do is have Kara on the show and talk about how she's worked with people in the business community on coming up with uh, with bills that are palatable to both sides, both some of the Democrats and Republicans. And we, we've gotten a lot of bipartisan um, legislation done here in Nebraska. And so a funny thing about this show is I'm actually going to be interviewing both Jeremy and Kara because we all became friends about a decade ago when Jeremy and I were Republican, what were we, Re- Republican activists, Jeremy? Well, so yeah, uh, I was doing a radio show at the time and I had just gotten off of a campaign to oust our then uh, mayor, Subtle. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of about when, when we met. Mm-hmm. And Carr was running the Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance, and there was a bill out to create um, some legislation that if you were going to remediate lead in a house, you had to follow some procedures. And of course, the landlord community was up in arms with it. So I actually want to talk to Jeremy. What is your view of what happened at that point, and how did you and Kara make sure that both the landlord community and the people in public health could get along and I pretty work much together. just told her what to do. No oh, gosh. <laughs> I was just like, hey, you're wrong, I'm right. <laughs> no. Like that's how that went, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that went over really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh and actually that never works. It never works, the, which is why we're talking which today. Which is the point of today's, <laughs> today's show, show because yeah. um while I was at the time well certainly involved in the Republican Party, I was also ideologically definitely misaligned with you you've always been a democrat and proud of it for some weird reason (laughs) (laughs) Um, we get free kale oh Oh, that's the trick free kale if you're a democrat oh my god all you can eat fantastic um so i mean going back that long uh, the details might be a little foggy but um it was it was it was there was it was hard for I think probably you to find any any um, traction in trying to find partners to help get into people's houses that needed 
remediation or needed uh, some way of protecting especially children from lead. Um, and whilst we differed on almost everything ideologically, there, if, you, if you stand back far enough, this is the, the tact I took back then, um, if you stand back far enough, you can always identify an opportunity for people to, uh, to, to see things. To ha- we, we have the same goal. Mm-hmm. So protect children. That's Okay, so we all agree protecting <laughs> children is worth doing. And if you start there and you start doing problem solving, or, sol- or I actually would say probably solution searching, you're going to be far more likely to find solutions. And if uh, you can't... If you start off from the premise that you're you, you don't agree with what I say and what I, then we don't get anywhere. So that's how I, I, I that's how when you approached me with it, you approached me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we kind of saw it as an opportunity to do some good and did, I think. You'd know better what the successes were or the failures of that particular program, but we've worked together on, I think, three different things. One of them was RRP. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that one ever became legislation or if we just did something operational. But then we also did lead in, uh, initiatives and then carbon monoxide. Mm-hmm. But so, Cara, from your point of view, I mean, you had to work with landlords all the time. So how did you help them? How did you break the ice and make it so they didn't see you as the enemy being from this nonprofit that was going to come in and ask them to spend money to remediate re- lead in their property? Well, I, I think that coming from the nonprofit perspective, we, those of us who have led pro- nonprofits see the liabilities in government regulation, just like the for-profit world does. We see that there's red tape. We see all of the hoops that people have to jump through. Because you have to jump through them too. Absolutely. And and in trying to convince people that this is the right thing to do, we know that when it impacts their bottom line, that that's a challenge. So when you think about something like the RRP rule, which would require contractors to have all these safety gear. So what is the RRP rule? Just um, so, so our yeah, listeners Yeah, so that know. was an EPA rule um, called the Renovation Rep- Repair and Painting that basically required safety procedures to be um, implemented and used when renovating a property that has lead in it. So, and so, so to, especially for our uh, property management uh, viewers and listeners, that's a problem, especially if you haven't heard of our RP, that's a problem. But what happens is if you go in and do any work on a house um, or any residence, then it is incumbent upon you if you're going to, di- if you're going to disturb, for example, nine square feet, feet, in a house on a wall, you have to take a sampling of the paint and look for lead. And if you find lead, you you uh, remediate it, or you have to take precautions to make sure that lead dust and and flakes aren't. And remnant. you have to be certified to do that. You have to be, and you have to be certified. And so that there, where, that was kind of where this law, where there was that conflict between the <laughs> landlord community and that's where the government. Was that there? You had to take the class. You had to become certified, which was an ex- added expense. And on top of that, they were going to force people to remediate in a specific way. And the landlord community had never had to do that before. Right. So that's where there was a ton of conflict. And I know some people in the community just came at you hard and mean and in yeah. an obstinate way. And so, but then Jeremy thought. Well, I was, I'm curious how much, I don't know. It, I know some during at least carbon monoxide and the lead, it was, they were total dicks. Um, but during RRP, I don't know if, if you ran into that at that point or if you just got lucky and met me first. I actually met Paul Vajeski first. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's and right. he introduced me to you. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, there were definitely people. And, and we, we understood that. I mean, and if you think about it from the advocacy world and actually how the RRP got passed, I mean, again, it gets back to what you're saying. Like, we all have the same goal, right? We don't want children to be poisoned by lead, the number one environmental hazard to them, um, a a neurotoxin that causes IQ deficits, behavioral problems, uh, criminal behavior later in life. So, like, that was something we all agreed we didn't want. And and so was the RRP, like, the best way to get to that? No, but it's, it's a step, right? Um, when because like when I think about it in, in in our world, what we're looking for is to get lead out of homes. And but then if you think about the number of homes in our country, these are homes built before 1978. You know, if a home was built before 1950s, much higher likelihood to have lead in it. We're talking a lot of houses. It's very expensive. 
Um, and so and so to put the onus solely on the property owner, the landlord, is challenging, right? Because you buy properties, you don't necessarily buy them thinking they're going to poison children. Right. It's not anybody's goal. But so the RRP came about as like an effort to at least get people certified. We don't want contractors getting poisoned. We don't want kids getting poisoned. So so what I'm hearing from you guys is that the first thing is realizing that you have a common goal or finding common ground would be the first thing if you're butting heads with government or nonprofits. I would say the second thing would be to be realistic about the political environment. Like, is this mm -hmm. going to pass yeah. anyway or not? Right. And we kind of knew that this was going to pass. And so, I mean, I, uh, it, was no, it up in the air or not really? RRP, I don't know. Was there legislation on that one? I don't think so. I no, think not that was that, just an EPA rule. That was an know. endeavor. Yeah, it was a rule. It was already a rule by the EPA, which meant they had te it had teeth. Right, it was so just being the, enforced. So the objective then was to try to find out how we can get into homes without exposing the landlord, in this case, to unnecessary liabilities, whilst making sure that the children, especially the children in those homes, are also not exposed to unnecessary right. liabilities in the form of neurotoxins. <laughs> right. And and so really, it became kind of an alliance. That's where we met. Absolutely. And and that's that's the approach we took. Like we actually had an environmental attorney from Massachusetts come to Omaha to teach landlords about this, looking at it from a liability standpoint because we knew that across the country, landlords were being sued, oh, yeah. paying a lot of money, um, and and we didn't want that to happen here in Omaha. I got it. So you kind of came uh, came about it from an educational perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, this passed. I'm sorry it's not your favorite thing in the world, but how about we all educate you and make sure that you don't get sued and you learn the right ways to do things and all of our needs can be met. And in so doing, protect yourself from the enormous potential cost of poisoning some kid. So we're here with Kara Eastman, congressional candidate in District 2 in Nebraska. And we're talking to her not about her political campaign, but about how to get along with disparate groups of people when it's heated and people see things from different perspectives. Where I think this matters... Uh, is in in business generally speaking, but you know we can speak from the perspective of property managers. We run into landlords are oftentimes kind of the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, it's for an sure. easy target, especially for politicians uh, to try to affect change and go after landlords. Like even right now uh, during coronavirus. Um, landlords are a little bit under pressure just because there's kind of an onslaught of municipal laws that are almost making it sound like the tenants don't have to pay rent. Yeah. And so and, it's and that's easy. why we have this show today is because there are a lot of people. This is very this is very relevant. There are a lot of people who are struggling working with their local and state governments. And we want to give people some tools and tips on how do you do so effectively. Well, and I think it's safe to say that in most instances, and Cara, you'd know better, um, people from the business community, generally speaking, especially small businesses, they go about it wrong. So, and they kind of start off in a defensive posture and feel it, it almost takes on this uh, tone, a feel of, I can't give an inch lest I lose the war. Yes. Like, so I want to go straight to an issue just to ex exemplify what you're talking about, Jeremy. And that was with one of our mayors, they wanted us to put our leases in seven different languages because we had a huge refugee population coming into Omaha. And obviously, if you go to court for an eviction, they're going to say, well, we only look at English. Well, which is the governing document? Yeah, which is the governing oh, document. Oh, oh, oh. And it's going to be the English in one. Any other language, okay, then you have to kind of translate it. And then is if there you an translate error in the translation? It, is the error, yeah, right. And or is, is the nuance such that you can't really translate it, which is also it, a characteristic of language? It was just not going to work. Yet it had passed and it was law, and we were trying. It had passed. There Remember, we had something. to unpass it and come up with a new solution. So the landlord community was all upset about this. And what we thought and rightfully so. And what we thought was a good compromise was your goal, your end goal is to make sure that refugees are educated in how it how to rent a property. That's your end goal, right? And they said yes, and so we said, well, let's create videos that show them what their rights, responsibilities are. And Cara helped with this. We made sure that 
lead safety was in the video as well. And let's do that in seven languages. So I think one of the things that we've learned working together is sometimes you can, if you really home in on what the core goal is, you can find something that everybody is fine with. Well, and I don't know. You you know. So, Cara, I mean, well, you said that people were watching that video. Yeah. The refugees. Yeah, there were, was a point where every refugee who came into Omaha saw that video. So. Yeah. And so, what, I mean, everybody wins. Everybody wins. They know mm-hmm. things, but they know things about lead poisoning. So at least they're made aware. The uh, and effectively, the property owner can also demonstrate. They can say they saw this video. Um, so we did kind of do our part and help. Due diligence. In, in, yeah, in in helping them understand the dangers that mm-hmm. are out there, um, and so win win. So, Cara, what are some other win wins that you've had in your career working at the Omaha uh, Healthy Kids Alliance and working with small business? Oh my gosh, we had a ton. I mean. That was our our goal was always just to keep children protected. And so and we found that most small businesses in Omaha felt aligned with our cause, especially when we weren't going in there saying like this is going to cost you so much more money. Right. And and, and that's the thing with small businesses. Like, yeah. I think that both people on the political side and the nonprofit world have to understand, like the margins are often so small for a small business. Um, and so, like, we want to be careful that we're not impacting somebody's bottom line, but at the same time, keeping kids safe. So that, I would say, was probably a big difference, something that you brought to those discussions because, well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you would, you'd come out the gate and say, okay, look, I know it costs money. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that. But that's the hurdle that we need to get past. It's going to cost money. Are there ways to mitigate the cost? Are there ways to avoid the cost? What right. we can't do is not protect the children. Well, we don't have any choice there. Well, and we and we would often go, or I guess I would at the time I was running the place, but go out to, to small businesses and say like, look, we can actually apply for a grant to help you do that because there are government grants yeah, out right. there or private grants. And so to me, that was always the best way to go approach somebody is say like, look, we want you to implement this this process, this procedure to protect kids and we can pay for it. Well, that's a win-win. Well, there were some people in the community, I'm sure on your side, that were a little bit more fiery. So did you ever have to manage other people and educate them on the best approach to get getting along with people or seeing it from other from the business point of view? Sure. I mean, and we even had staff at the time who, um, you know, I had a staff member who had worked for the health department and it was just kind of tired of, of feeling like she was never being heard and the people just weren't listening to what she was doing. And so she was like, let's go after the landlords. Let's, let's get them. Oh em. my God, that woman. I remember her. We were, I don't know, there must have been 40 people in that room and we were, that was the carbon monoxide law, I think is what you guys had worked on. The first draft of it seemed onerous, like that it was going to be a real problem for property owners to really even protect themselves and certainly uh, more difficult for it to actually become something that could help protect children or families. That woman, I don't remember her name and I wouldn't say it if I did, but um, we were in the room, 40 of us, and we kind of went through this first draft of the legislation that had been proposed. And I think I was the only Republican in the room. And so I had some ideas and I think a disproportionate amount of the conversation poured out from my mouth. But it was ideas about, okay, this is the, I have a problem with this area. I have a problem with this area. While you listened, and, and I think most people did, um, and we got somewhere, it was kind of fun. I read the, I read the law now and I can see my exact words in it. The side note. Because they're misspelled. <laughs> um, <laughs> the bad yeah, grammar, the grammatical errors. <laughs> The the grammatical errors, the ain'ts, all that stuff, the y'alls. But that woman, she she came up to me afterwards and said, you had said first that, look, this isn't supposed to be punitive against landlords. Okay. Mm -hmm. She came to me later and said, actually, I believe that any law that we do on this should be punitive against landlords just because they're landlords. And I was like, well count me out like mm-hmm. and I'll use my political sway to kill this bill mm-hmm. if you don't work with But me. that's so those people can ruin any initiative and that they you do. have. And so that's another I, important point for it, our listeners if they're trying to to change a law or if they're trying to um, make a law more palatable that already exists if you have people on your side who are willing to be to say that the other side is evil that the other side who wants punitive uh, 
punitive penalties or whatever approach, you need to tell them, thanks, but no thanks, you can't be here. And really use your leadership skills to get them out of the room because they can ruin everything. And so did you ever see uh, uh, common sense legislation derailed because people couldn't keep their uh, side in check? Oh, yeah, oh. absolutely. So absolutely. do you have any examples of that? Well, so so one of the things that, that we were pushing for for a long time um, was a lead safe housing uh, ordinance that basically if you were going to move a child into a property that you had to have a le- at least have a lead test, to let people know what's there. And um, and that was something that we worked on for years trying to get the Omaha City Council involved in. And, um, and, and the way other cities had done it was with a rental property registration. And I completely understand like why landlords don't necessarily like that. But that ultimately did pass just without the lead stuff in it. <laughs> um, so hopefully down the line <laughs> that will get in there. But so I don't know if it was necessarily derailed, but I also am not at the organization anymore. So um, so maybe that was part of the reason why we, <laughs> we didn't get that part in there. But the reality was, um, you know, we're trying to get something passed to protect children and, and yet the enforcement of that is always a challenge. Right? The enforcement. So, yeah. And that's where I think the common sense approach comes in, because sometimes if it's written by people not in the industry, the enforcement piece is totally outsized for what's possible. The expense is out of control. There are a lot of things. And so the devil is always in the details. So if people come in once something's been passed or in the process of passing it and then just roll back maybe some of the harsher elements that make no sense, then then that can make the law better. So I would use your carbon monoxide bill. Why don't you tell that story, Jeremy, how the carbon monoxide bill was not going to work and you were able to make it common sense and then actually benefit yeah. people more. And you, you can always correct me on my history of this, but um, I think the original legislation for the carbon monoxide bill in Nebraska First of all, we're here with Cara Eastman. Yes. She is the, we're speaking to her as as the ex-president of Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance and not for profit. Uh, And she had had um, run-ins with me and other organizations in the city. uh, And she successfully navigated them through it. And that's what we're talking about today. So Um, back to the carbon monoxide Yeah. So my recollection is that it first said that the landlord was liable even if the tenant had destroyed the carbon monoxide so, yeah, that's detector, the, that the liability was on the landlord no matter what happened. Right. So the law didn't specifically say that the tenant could ruin it and then there, then and still, but, but that is effectively what it said. It said the landlord will be responsible for having a uh, working a smoke detector or a carbon monoxide detector in the home. Okay. And that's, that's okay. Except that it's operationally impossible, Mm -hmm. right? You, you, you can give somebody a home and then the law makes it so that you can't just go in there randomly and do things. And respectfully, I mean, that, that, that's the right way to, to have it. We, We can't just have landlords running, ruling the roost, going in whenever they want. So they have their privacy. Um, and that privacy, though, gets in the way of us being able to go in and make sure that the smoke, the carbon monoxide detectors are always working. So all we did was we, we altered the law to make it so that it was the landlord's responsibility to turn a property in, uh, turn it uh, to a tenant mm-hmm. with a working smoke detector. Or and if carbon monoxide. Carbon detector. monoxide detector. And if they called... Um, to say that it was broken, that it would be fixed in some certain amount of time, I think. And so now that works. And, and that and makes that was, a big difference on whether or not the landlord and community can get behind it. Because then right. they did. We got behind it and we we're like, yeah, we'll pass it. Well, there that. were people who weren't behind it and they were fighting it tooth and nail. Yeah. And we had to look at, there were so many states that already had it. It was going to it, pass. We were, right. 49. There were 49 other states that had that law. And we had more carbon monoxide right. deaths we than the, we, any other state or e- something like exactly. that. Exactly. And and if you think about it, with the car, the, the funny thing about this and, and the funny thing about people fighting it is um, when you think about liability. A, a smoke detector is required, right? We all, we all, we're already doing that. But smoke is um, smellable. What's the word for that? Smell- smellable. Smellable, smellable, I think is smellable. right. Yeah. That's a perfect um, word Odiferous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can see it. Mm-hmm. You can hear it at many times. Carbon monoxide is the opposite. Mm. And so when you think about live, like smoke detectors 
are there in case you're asleep and there is something right there they make noise but carbon monoxide is different odorless tasteless colorless like all these things where you can't detect it and so the only way you know it's there is with a detector or you die yes and yes. so in terms of liability it actually makes more sense for people to have carbon monoxide Absolutely. detectors than smoke detectors and uh, so it was like an easy sell Absolutely. it seemed like at least and, and, yeah and it wasn't though i mean you ran into problems oh yeah and I know the, some of the groups that you ran into problems with. And well, it's... and I have to give credit to Senator Sarah Howard because she was the one that was actually mm -hmm. putting the bill yeah. forward. Yeah, that's right. We have Kara Eastman here who is running for congressional seat here in Nebraska in District 2. But we are not talking about the campaign. We're actually talking about how we can get along with people, how government, nonprofits, and small business can make effective change without hating each other. Um, and one of the important things that were brought up earlier in the show was that sometimes it's almost harder to get along with people on your own side than it is with people that technically you have some, you know, adversarial views with. And I think that's true with us. I mean, we're, we've always been maybe not on the same page politically, but we've always had an approach of getting along and focusing on a common goal and working from that common goal outward and trying to figure out uh, what we can do that's palatable to all sides. But of course, there's an activist community, both on the Republican and the Democrat side, that make it more difficult to get those things passed. So, Kara, how have you been able to kind of get maybe some of the people that are more on the fringe um, to coalesce and work towards a common goal with you? Well, it's funny as you're as you're talking about this. I was thinking about the time, like when I when I started Omaha Healthy Kids, we were actually in some ways fighting government agencies like EPA and HUD. You did city, yeah, yeah, yeah. The and the, and the city yeah. and the state um, to to move in a different direction from the way that they were handling the Superfund site in Omaha, where the largest residential Superfund site in the nation because of lead contamination. And so we didn't like what the EPA was doing. And then there was like an activist community that was just yelling and screaming, and we didn't like that either. Um, and then you've got like the business community that's being impacted by this in a number of ways. And so we're trying to bring everybody together. And that was actually the reason that the organization Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance was started, was to bring all these groups so together. So how, what was your view, how is your view different from the EPAs or the activist community? Well, so from the EPA side and HUD side, it was all like, we can't do that because of regulation, right? So it's like all this bureaucratic stuff. And so we were like, we were combing through um, legislation, rules, regulations, saying, finding like loophole, like, nope, you can actually do this. You just have to do it this way. And then on the activist side, we were saying like, look, we, you know, here's where we align. Here's where we have common goals. Here's some educational and outreach efforts we can be doing so that we're empowering the community as well. So you think about the fact that like, you know, lead poisoning tends to occur a lot more often in homes of African-American kids or Latino kids in our community. While there are activists on that side saying like, look, this is environmental racism. This is a racial justice issue. And they're absolutely right. And so but there's ways to like to say, OK, where do we find common ground? What is our common goal? And basically, as a nonprofit, I was saying, where, how much money do you want me to raise to fix this problem? Because that's the reality is that we needed resources and there hadn't been those resources prior to that. So when you're working with these people, what were some of the personal skills? Because I think people struggle with, okay, that sounds great conceptually, but what does that really look like when I'm at a community meeting? How, what do I have to be aware of if this is, if I've never been involved in politics in my life and how do I kind of move everything in a direction that is manageable? Well, so I'm a social worker by trade and we're actually taught to look at things from all sides. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's an important skill to have when you're leading these kinds of efforts or working with people from other, from different sides of the aisles, like being able to see things from their perspective, but then also articulating your own perspective at the same time without offending somebody. Um, and so I think it's, it's that, I think it's a lot of compromise without necessarily compromising your vision or your values, but being able to say, okay, here's where we have common ground. Here's what makes sense for both of us. And frankly, I do think that we need people who are just willing to step up and say, I will do the hard work to raise the funds for that, or I will do the hard work to get the votes for that. How do you feel about that? And sometimes just having somebody stand up and say, I'm willing to do all the grunt work. How about we move forward from there? So, 
I, I appreciate that. So let's go back to hearing someone else's side because, oh my gosh, we don't do that at all right now in this country. So are you talking about active listening, like repeating back, even if it's not your viewpoint, what you are hearing them say? Is that what is that what you mean by seeing it from their point of view? Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the the tools that we absolutely need should be using more of. I mean, just even listening would be nice sometimes. Um, I mean, well, I think we're we and especially like for, like from a politician standpoint, like politicians love to hear themselves talk. But what we need are politicians to be listening because and it's hard. There's a lot of noise, especially on social media. But you have to be able to, to like, you know, kind of comb through it and listen to what people are really talking about. And, you know, if it's a small business owner, they're talking about their bottom line. They're talking about they're worrying about their business surviving. If it's a nonprofit, then they're talking about meeting their mission. And if it's a government agency, then, well, I don't I don't always know what they're trying to do. But usually they're trying to effectuate change or make sure that a community is protected. So we are here with Kara Eastman, congressional candidate in Nebraska in District 2, and we're talking about getting along with people, which is like almost a dirty word, I feel like, in <laughs> politics now. But we're not really talking about politics. We're just talking about some of the past uh, ways that we have worked together on common sense legislation for Nebraska in terms of housing. So uh, one of the other things that I think would be helpful to people is if they are just getting involved in politics and let's say they are a property manager and they're going into a room full of people from nonprofits in the city, when you walk into that room, it can be really intimidating. And maybe Jeremy, you can talk about this. When you feel like you're the opposite side and you're a lone person or you only have like two people with you, um, how do you prepare for maybe what could be an onslaught or a lot of Conflict. So the best way to do it is to look up Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. He wrote uh, the philosophy, the theory. Uh, it's called Moral Foundations. And uh, in it, so the moral foundations mean care, harm, fairness, cheating, loyalty, betrayal, authority, subversion, sanctity, and degradation. And, and his theory basically says that, that that's what morality is based on those five things and different political parties have different combinations of those five to different degrees so, and amounts so just to bring it down to like my level right. okay so so <laughs> johnny johnny height uh, my buddy no, but, so you're saying and correct me if i'm wrong that uh certain mindsets value certain things over others so it's more well, of a prioritization of yeah. some aspects of morality over well, others, and that's where we conflict? Well, and we being humans, we can go into a room and we can identify pretty quickly whether or not we are welcome, ideologically. Like, okay. what, And then we are quick to put ourselves into a tribe. Like, I, I am with, it's very binary, like, you are not me. Uh, you know, we're not like each other. And so then, at that moment, uh, the parties start to drift away mm -hmm. and they start to not rely on each other's information. They start to distrust each other. And the, the and especially when there starts to be conversation, people are, start to articulate the differences. Those differences, uh, are, you're building a wall every time you do it. And so the trick, I think, is being able to go into a room and not bring up differences. And that's why I had focus on the things to, that are the same. That are I that are the same because it's a very slippery slope when you have a when there's a negative when, mm -hmm. when you when you start talking negatively, when you start talking about what we don't agree on, there are so many things we don't disagree on that that the team, the tribe is formed, the tri tribes are formed, and to get back into the graces with the other is essentially impossible at a certain point it actually does become impossible and politics today you know this is the a charged environment that we live in people that we know hate hillary clinton they've never met hillary clinton and they hate her they hate you mm -hmm. they hate don bacon just because they have an r or a d in next to their name yep and and that's the political reality we're in right now in order to succeed at helping uh, our legislation, our legislators, or our um, uh, city councils, whatever, build better laws. You cannot highlight the differences between the people. So, Cara, you go into rooms and there's a hostile element. How do you how do you prepare for that? Oh my, wow! 
<laughs> um, She's got one of those Husker hands that's just a finger. And <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, I'm out of here, boys. No, no, I'm finger. really curious because a lot of people, if you're going to get involved in politics at any level, you're walking into, you know, the lion's den. So how do you prepare for that? Well, I think, I mean, look, I think fundamentally you do have to have somewhat of a thick skin to go into politics but I always assume that there's going to be somebody in the room that disagrees with me frankly if there weren't then that would be weird it's an echo chamber right and so and I like it I mean because the reality is if we're not able to actually have conversations disagree about things be able to civilly discuss them we're not going to get anything accomplished so true um, and so, and it's funny because when, when Jeremy and I first started working together, I don't think we ever identified our political affiliations. Why would we have at that time? I didn't even know that you were a Republican until you tried to recall our adorable mayor. Um, but, but just to clarify, <laughs> we have never had an adorable mayor. We do not know who you're talking about. <laughs> but, um, and we completely disagreed on that. I mean, I was, I was making phone calls to help him not be recalled and you were on the other side of that and we remained friends through that so i mean i i think like it it's a shame and i and i and frankly i think that it's it's a result of the parties themselves and the media that divide us and and really we do agree on more things than we disagree so i actually think that was a really good point about you guys worked on opposite campaigns and but you were always civil and kind to one another so when that was over and there was another bill where you needed each other's help you could rely on each other. And I think that's lost. Sometimes people go to the super mean, you're different than me at this moment, we can't talk and I'm gonna be a jerk to you and I'm not gonna say hi to you in a room. And they get so rude that when they need that person's help later, they burn that bridge. So I think that's something that's missing in politics a lot is just being cordial and friendly and kind even to your opponents. Part of it's just because uh, people believe that to compromise is to fail. Mm-hmm. And if if that's what you think, um, first of all, you've never taken a civics course, but two, or a psychology course, because I'm sorry, the world doesn't revolve around you as an individual. Like you, there are flaws probably in your thinking because you're human, and the only way for you to get outside of your own skull is to address or to converse with people that have a different opinion. Best case scenario, you change their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, worst case scenario is you take a little bit away from the conversation and make your argument better. Right. And But at the end of the day, between the two of you, you've all gained a little bit and probably gotten a little bit closer to understanding, one, how the world actually works, and two, what you might be able to do to make it a little better. Well, and I, I think actually this gets to the title of your show, right? Bootstrappers. Like, I think most of us agree that we should be able to get ahead in the United States of America, you know, by far the largest economy in the world, um, you know, one of the greatest countries in the world to live in, that we should all be able to get ahead by working hard. Um, but there's a difference between that sentiment and rugged individualism. And I think the problem is when we teach our kids, like this is the world revolves around you, or when we as individuals think the world revolves around us, that there's a problem there. And because we have to understand how we're all interconnected. And at the same time, we can't lose sight of the fact that each one of us needs to be working hard in order to get ahead in in the United States, to raise a family, to make a living. Like we can't rely on the help of the government. We can't rely on the help of businesses. We have to actually become educated ourselves. We have to be able to live in a healthy environment. We have to be able to find good paying jobs. And to me, that's that's the difference is like we think that we're so ideologically different from Republicans to Democrats. But the reality is, I think most of us agree on those things. I think we do agree. I think what we don't agree on is the how we get there. It's always process. Yeah, it's it's process oriented, not outcome Mm -hmm. oriented, I think, in a lot of ways. So um, and that's really a good area to begin with. So we could begin any conversation with, hey, we have these common goals, just as you cited. Now, how do we get there? And what am I willing to give up? What is not so important to me in this bill or whatever we're working on? And what are my non-negotiables? And being civil to one another, then we can really make, you know, make up, go forward in a good way. Well, and maybe be friends with someone that's a Democrat. (laughs) Because it is a lot harder if you're a Republican. It's a lot harder to be an a-hole to some, to some, or even to call people names because they're Democrats, if you have friends that are Democrats. Like we live in the Midtown area, which is mostly Democrat, and we're a minority in this area, but 
one thing that 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 it's forced upon us is having to deal with people that are less intelligent than us. Oh right, my honey? god. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in Just, Dundee, that's definitely your issue. <laughs> dealing with uh, people of a different mindset. And we have fun. We go to out for drinks or we go have... And you should see people's faces when we do. Yeah, yeah, especially if they <laughs> know who we funny. are. They're like, ooh. How did that happen? So, up, And it is kind of weird, right? It's funny. And we're not talking about politics today, actually. We're, we're talking, talking about, to her as the former president of Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance. Yeah, and we're just talking about conflict resolution. We all know there's just so much conflict in the world right now. Um, and we need to hear more solutions. <laughs> and in fact, it's actually one of the number one uh, business conversations I have with any of my clients is on the subject of of conflict resolution. How do you create harmony in a business environment? Maybe there are toxic individuals, you have to give feedback. It's so hard to manage people. And since Cara ran the Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance for 12 years, she has to run a campaign, which is a whole different beast. Um, and she's a former um, social worker. Uh, you're the perfect person to have on this Are you show, ever but... actually a formal social worker? No, once a social worker, you're, <laughs> you're a like social a worker for life. Yep. I mean, there's no extra. So <laughs> when you meet people, or like let's say you're coaching a manager or something, what are some of the top tips that you give people on how to handle conflict in the workplace? I, I have always been an advocate for um, airing grievances, uh, which sounds funny. It sounds like... Um, Festivus, but uh, um, <laughs> but uh, but I think that that what I saw, and I've run nonprofits for about twenty years, is that the the number one issue is is just miscommunication. Yes, miscommunication. And so, you know, I do believe in open, transparent environments in in the workplace. Sometimes that causes some problems, but I think in the end, actually, people are happier that way. You kind of get things out as they come along, and you don't just let things fester. So I always encourage people to, you know, if they have an issue with somebody, bring it to them. If they need somebody in the room to do that, do it that way. Document everything. But um, but also just to be willing to hear other people's sides as well in order to come to some sort of common ground. And as we were talking about before, figure out what your common goals are first. See, and I start the other way. I say, shut up. <laughs> I just tell people to shut up. And, and then how does what that happens work for you? Is, and that's why Gwen is the boss. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, but, it, it doesn't always work, I will say. Well, so I always think your point on miscommunication, I would say, I don't know, 80% of conflict is miscommunication. I would say for the sure. next portion is um, one person prioritizing one thing over another. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say I prioritize speed over quality and you're, you're prioritizing quality over speed and we're misaligned there. And gosh, those two things, it's so easy to attribute malice, malintent to somebody when it's honest, it's like an honest mistake and it's one of those two things. I think that's the worst part is that if you're on the receiving end of a miscommunication or a misalignment in priorities, you're like, that person's a jerk. You have a good example with the dog. The dog. Or the canine. Oh, I have a crazy example. So we have clients who work with people from Mexico. That's part of our business is we find these people in Mexico, but ultimately they're trained by the person that they work for. So he trained her over text message, which I never recommend. It's not a very good idea to train someone that way. <laughs> a virtual Turns out she's absolutely brilliant. And so she was able to figure it out and she was in charge of doing applications. So processing applications and approving people for housing. Well, she, she did it great for three months. And then one day she got a police officer with a police dog. So she instant messages him, hey, do canines count as service animals? Legit question. And he saw, she thought canine, English being her second language, was a word just for police dogs. He misread it as dog. can dogs be service animals? And he was like, why are you such an idiot? Like, how do you not know this after three months of doing, mm -hmm. the, doing this job? Well, then that got super negative. He attributed this miss, it was really a mistranslation to her being stupid and their relationship deteriorated. They lost trust in each other. She walks out on him and it blows out to be this huge thing. We do a root cause analysis and find out it's literally over translation error. If one of them had picked up the phone at the end of that day and been like, you know what? I don't know what happened today, but I feel 
sensed that you were upset right. with me. We need to walk this back. Like, let's walk through it. But you have to be bold. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be courageous to do that. But if you catch it right on the front end, then it prevents a lot of terrible things from happening. And I mean, this person from spiraling. Yeah, from spiraling out of control and going to a place that it does not have to go. Um, so that's one of the things that I always t tell people on the first day when I'm onboarding them as I tell them that story because it's so sad. Yeah. And it happens all the time. Well, in in, in our campaign, we actually, um, months ago, before the coronavirus hit, we were doing weekly meetings on Fridays with the whole team. And it was a meeting just dedicated to problem solving. There was no other thing that we were bringing up. Other so what than kind of problems would you solve? Either communication issues among the team, um, you know, what some kind of problem out in the community that needed to be solved, something that wasn't going right in the campaign that just we wanted to fix. So it was a time for people to bring grievances, concerns, something that was just bugging them. And and actually, and what we found is when we kept people focused on that, it prevented stuff um, from going wrong later. So how did you run that meeting? Did you go around the room and each person had their list and you walked through their list with them? Yep. So and it was then, an airing of grievances, literally. It literally was. And we did. And you have a Festivus poll right in the middle of it. <laughs> and during the week, when people would go to bring stuff up, we'd say, "Wait and save it for for the Friday meeting." And what that did actually was give people time to think about it, process a little mm. bit, because a lot of times it's it's knee jerk reaction to something. Mm -hmm. Campaigns are stressful, so Ian, no. <laughs> no. So are you sure? I don't, I don't know that much about them, but um, but yeah. So so it's just a, a good way to get people also to take a minute, step back, and say, okay, is this really something I need to bring to that meeting, or can I just address it now and get it over? So with? I have a question about that. Did you guys call people out on bad behavior in front of everybody, and are you a fan of that or not? Um. So, so actually, I did not, because um, no candidate would do that, but. Um, but the team members would call each other out. And, and because the meeting is structured in such a way where this is a meeting to problem solve, this is a problem meeting, people do it in incredibly respectful ways because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. Mm -hmm. And they actually temper themselves in a way that I think it, it develops leadership skills because sometimes you do have to call people out. Sometimes it's okay to do that publicly. If it was something that really needed to be like a one-on-one -on -one thing, then then our, our, the campaign manager would usually say, okay, this seems like something we're gonna put a pin on and, and we'll talk later. But for the most part, it actually facilitated pretty healthy discussions. And yeah, sometimes people were a little, um, you know, embarrassed or displeased. It, it's not, not always a fun meeting, but the reality is in any organization, no matter what it is, there's always problems and you need to solve them. How long does this meeting last? It's about six to seven hour meeting. <laughs> 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 no, we kept it to an hour, and then you know it's Friday around happy hour, so oh, yeah, quick so it ended on a positive note. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so for your management style, how would you characterize it? I am I'm not a micromanager. I don't believe in micromanaging, and I'm not good at it. And so I really like to I I like developing leaders. And it's funny we're sitting here in front of a newspaper, and my field director is on the cover of the World Herald today. Oh, that's cool. Um, and and I'm really proud of her for that. But um, yeah, I think that I, I I like to see the you know identify talent and everybody, make sure that I'm fostering that talent in whatever way I can. I believe in servant leadership. I believe in elevating people. My goal is that anybody that's working with me, if it's a campaign, that someday they'll be running for something if that's what they want, or if it's an organization that someday they'll be leading it. Very cool. So feedback, do you do a lot of one-on-ones? Is that how you manage people? Do you, Are you organized with your meeting approach with people and meet with them on a regular basis, or is it just ad hoc when you need it? Yeah, I mean, at, at Omaha Healthy Kids, we I did weekly meetings with all the staff members, the senior senior staff members. Once we got bigger, where and then we, they and then the managers were meeting with their team members on a weekly basis. I think that that's really important to be able to at least have that half an hour time, um, where it's just you and and your supervisor to be able to just make sure you're moving things forward. So, did you coach your managers on a specific way to? to manage the people below them? Are, were you good at managing that middle management level? Yeah, I mean, not just through my talking to them or at them, but off, usually through trainings. And what were some of the things that you saw they did wrong, the most most common mistakes of a new manager? Not addressing things as they come up. Um, letting, hmm, that was letting, a quick answer. Letting things fester too long. And, um, and also just not being incredibly clear in your directives. Like if you set clear 
expectations for somebody and what they're doing. Make sure you're praising them along the way. Make sure you're addressing things as they come up. I think you can actually. And that's a tough people. one. Like I, I kind of fail on that front. I don't give enough credit or praise nearly often enough. I got to remember that. It is a problem because if you run a business, if you started a business, you're just a driver and it's I mean, if you are not motivated by words yourself, it's hard to realize that other people are motivated by mm -hmm. words of you know affirmation. So it can be difficult when you're one personality type and you're managing people of another. But um, well, and there are studies on this that show that actually for most people in a work environment, they're more motivated by praise from their supervisor than by financial incentives. Then, yeah, yeah. There there are multiple currencies, and I say that often. It's uh, obviously, currency is currency, but you can also days off, you know, a four day work week or, you know, just kind or of a free lunch, free lunch. Sometimes people while. are motivated by that. A, the camaraderie. You Republicans always want to give people a free lunch. <laughs> That's <laughs> our problem. Record, just for the That's, record. So everyone <laughs> knows I'm now an independent. So I was a Republican activist for many years, but I'm now an independent. I, so. I am still a Republican, and I uh, these days I kind of kind of get grossed out saying it just because I don't like the way things are. But and we're gonna leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think we learned a lot here today. We talked about getting along with disparate groups, finding common uh, initiatives that we could all get behind, not being a jerk, corralling in people on our team who might be a little outspoken or not as uh, good at indicating what they want as some other people. What other things can people take away from well, like, working with government officials? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, if I'm giving advice, I'm just saying reach out and actually work with them. Whether Regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, just get involved in it, have a conversation, and work on that specific issue towards an end. And what's your favorite thing about me? <laughs> I, I don't gotta know. know gotta know. I don't know where to begin, to be honest. Well, Kara. <laughs> I, I, I think you were going to say my wife. So, Kara, thank you so much for coming to Bootstrappers today. We really appreciated your time, especially since you're running a busy campaign. Yeah, thanks and, so much. And, um, yeah, we wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate Very much. that. You too. <laughs> this has been Bootstrappers a unique presentation designed to help you better understand what makes the world turn. Contact Gwen or Jeremy Aspen at hosts at bootstrapper.club. Join us next time on News Talk 1290 KOIL at our website or download the podcast.